This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Mike Missanelli Podcast, Tuesday, September 19th. Eagles on a long mini buy. And uh, we'll get to them uh, in a second because we got a few days to wait for a ball game in Tampa Bay, uh, which all of a sudden might be a little more problematic than we thought. Uh, the podcast, of course, is brought to us by Bet Rivers. A little later in the show, the great Jason Stark, the Hall of Fame writer, will join us as we talk about some Philly baseball. But let's start the current with the Eagles. Uh, roster moves. Well, I don't know. Is it a roster move when you move a punter out? Aaron Sipos out. The Eagles signed somebody named Braden Mann who kicked for the Jets last year. So th- this might be one of those recurring situations where a punter so devalued, you keep him on the practice squad, you bring him up three times. If he doesn't work out, you get another punter on the practice squad. You bring him up for three times. Uh, and that's what the, the Eagles are doing right now. So Sipos had a chance to hold on to his job as a practice squatter, brought him up, didn't do the job. He's out. All right, next game is the Tampa Bay. They're 2-0. and What? They are 2-0. and They But they beat the Minnesota Vikings and the woeful Chicago Bears. All right? So I, I don't know how good. Their defense looks like it's pretty good. Baker Mayfield's putting up some numbers. He stinks. The Eagles should not have a problem on Monday night. But they are a little shorthanded. And we have to count on some guys getting back in action. Now, Avante Maddox out for the season. You know, uh, I, I, pretty much he's done as an Eagle. I, I got to think. I mean, the guy, listen, he's a spunky little player. He's like 5'7", 130 pounds. He gets hurt every time he makes a tackle at this point of his career. So uh, I don't know if you can count on that, guys. But he's out for the season with a peck, and uh, they have to uh, do just a little surgery. But the following uh, could be back and likely to play. And when they say that they're likely to play, that means I think they're going to play. So you get Bradbury back in the fold at cornerback. You got Blankenship back in the fold at uh, safety. Uh, you got Kenneth Gainwell is probably going to play, which will help out uh, uh, the load that uh, DeAndre Swift carried last week because you can't count on him carrying that many times. And also it looks like they're going to sign Buda Baker from the Cardinals as a safety to help. And if they can get him up to speed, thanks to this mini buy, they probably can't get him up to speed. Uh, so their defense will be a little more fortified. All right. So, Let's talk about this current state of the NFL and where the Eagles stand. Because at one point, it was a foregone conclusion they were the most powerful team in the uh, NFC and hence maybe in the NFL. However, since we've witnessed the first two games, uh, I am ready to drop the Eagles in my Power Five. Darren, our producer, will give his Power Five and also our Lower Five, the Bottom Fear Five. Uh, and right now, I have the Eagles, believe it or not, dropping into the third slot in my power rankings. And I know people don't want to hear this, but the best team in football right now might be 
the Dallas Cowboys. I've got the Cowboys number one. I've got the 49ers number two. I've got the Eagles in the third slot, followed by the Miami Dolphins. And yes, Baltimore Ravens. They showed me a little something last week being shorthanded. They win. And so they're my fifth team, my lower five, starting with with the stankiest and going down the stank line. Uh, the, the stankiest team for, uh, for me right now, the Houston Texans. The second stankiest team, the Chicago Bears. The third stankiest team, which is like a, a badge of honor for this team because they, they really should have beat the Giants and they were powerful enough to take a 27-7 lead into the third quarter. I'll, I'll go with uh, Jonathan Stinko Gannon and his Arizona Cardinals. Um, the fourth worst, the Carolina Panthers, followed by the Denver Broncos on my uh, lower five. So, Darren, let's hear you with the power five in the NFL. I'm not going to drop the Eagles until they lose a game. They play two decent teams um, and, and played two pretty hard-fought games. I still have the Eagles as my number one team. Um, number two is Dallas and they're playing probably they're playing better than any team in the NFL right now. But again, it's only two games. I'm not saying let's Wait a minute. Hold on a second. T- time out. You just said they're playing better than anybody in the NFL right now. It, and yet you got them below the Eagles. Yes. What sense does that make? Because I think makes sense of that at this point me. are still, I'm not going to drop them for being two and oh. You got it. You got to lose a game to, to get dropped right now. Or the Cowboys are also two and zero. I know, and they beat Daniel Jones and Zach Wilson, and that's not nearly that. It's not that impressive to me overall. So I have Dallas at number two. Number three, I have the Kansas City Chiefs. They had the one loss. Um, they had they were missing Kelsey. They were missing Chris Jones. Chiefs are my number three team. Number four, San Francisco. They look sharp as well. Um, but I'm still not sold on Purdy yet. I know he looks good in the pocket, but. Um, I'm still not sold on him. And number five, Buffalo Bills. That was an impressive win after a uh, opening uh, season loss. My bottom. No five. love to the Dolphins or the Ravens. You know, I thought about the Dolphins. Um, and was there you are. If you were just talking offense, that's probably the best team in football. But they also don't. They also have a defense that gave up 34 to the Chargers. And, uh, had, you know, the Patriots were in that game on Sunday night as well. Bottom five, I mean, from the worst, we'll start with the worst. Arizona is just a putrid, wretched team who's only going to get worse as the year goes on because they're going to start. They'll probably trade some guys away. Uh, they'll hide some guys on IR. Or, uh, you know, so uh, Arizona is the worst team in football for me. Not far from them is Houston. Houston, you know, we'll talk about Ohio State quarterbacks. Because I got another one on my bottom five as well right next. Chicago Bears. I mean, Justin Fields. I'm not a guy who likes Ohio State quarterbacks. I don't know if it's their system. I don't know what it is. I did not like Stroud as much. I thought he makes great throws, but he, he, you know, in in college he struggled reading defenses, and he's still struggling reading defenses. Justin Fields. Some people say he's just in a bad spot in Chicago. It's a bad system for him. I don't know. I just don't think he was very good in college, and I don't know that he's going to get much better with the Chicago Bears. Number four, Carolina. You know, I thought Bryce Young out of the three rookie quarterbacks was the most pro-ready. He's made some nice throws, some nice reads, but the game's clearly really – it's too fast for him still. Um, Carolina at number four. D- number five, Denver Broncos. I, and no, I, I, You know, it's a shame, too, because he's going to be around a while. 
on that quarter of a billion dollar contract that he got in that extension. But I, I really don't like there's no quarterback that I'm annoyed watching more than Russell Wilson. I've always been of uh, I've always said that he was an overrated quarterback because he benefited from a top five defense of all time. Should have won more than one Super Bowl with that team in Seattle. Um, you know, but it's over for him. And Denver's going to be Denver's got a problem for for a few years here. So uh, bottom five, Arizona, Houston, Chicago, Carolina and Denver. All right. So we await the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on a Monday night football, which, by the way, you'll stay up late. You'll watch the Jacob Media Post game show with myself, Seth Joyner, and Derek Gunn. And by the way, I am uh, scheduled to play golf with Seth Joyner on Thursday, and I will give you a full report on his game. That's coming up a little later in the week with our next podcast. Okay, so here we go with some baseball talk now. The Phillies. All right. Um Listen, I've said for a long time, the Phillies are, it's its impossible for them to lose the top wild card spot. Uh, I know uh, there, there are some people on Twitter that always like to freak out after every loss saying, oh, my God, they're going to lose. Like, what are you people smoking? All right. Let, let's delve into the numbers to prove this once and for all. All right. They, they lost the last game of three to the Cardinals. Uh, and they bounced back last night with a big win over the Braves with a uh, Kyle Schwarber home run that went 488 feet. Uh, okay. So, so here's they're eight, they're 82 and 68 right now. Um, I did some math. The Phillies remaining schedule. I went down the Phillies remaining schedule and I went to the worst possible case scenario of the 13 games they had left. So I had them losing two to the Braves of the three. They won one last night. They may lose the next two, but they may not either. So this is the way I conservatively estimated it. Lose two to the Braves. Then the Mets come in. Lose two to the Mets. Now, again, I'm, I'm going overboard here to give them the most losses they could possibly have. Two, they lose two or three to the Mets. and they, Or excuse me, that's four. So they split the Mets. Go two and two. Best case scenario with the Mets. Split that series. Pirates. They, they win two of three. They're not going to lose two or three to the Pirates. Right? The Pirates may not even win a game. And then at the Mets, I'll give them two losses in the last three games. That means they would finish six and seven. Worst case scenario was finishing six and seven to end their season at 87 and 68. Here are the teams now that are chasing them, that are in the picture right now to surpass them in the wildcard thing. The Diamondbacks. The Diamondbacks have 11 games left. To get to 79 wins, or they have 79 wins, they would have to win 9 of 11 because they would have to get to 88 wins. The Phillies have the tiebreaker. They would have to win one more game than the Phillies. To get to 88 wins, they'd have to win 9 of their last 11. The Diamondbacks going to win 9 of their last 11. They have 3 at the Yankees, 3 at the um, uh, White Sox, and three against Houston. They're going to win nine of 11. Your sister's ass. All right, let's move on now to, to the Marlins. The Marlins have 12 left. They would have to win 10 of those games. They play the Mets three, the Brewers three, at the Mets again, at the Pirates. They're, they're going to win 10? I don't understand these people that freak out when the Phillies lose a game. It is impossible for them to lose the top wild card spot, which means they're either going to play the Diamondbacks or the Marlins 
or what, whatever schlepper survives to get into that fifth spot. Three-game series at Citizens Bank Park. The way the Phillies hit, they're not going to lose that first series. Now, the Braves are a different story. In the second series, they'll have to play the Braves. I get it. I don't think they can beat the Braves. But stop with this. They're going to lose their wild card status. All right. Did you understand the math there, Darren? Uh, I'm smart. I followed along. Like everybody says, I followed along. Yes, I understand the math. There's this guy on Twitter. He goes by C. This guy is the most negative Philly fan I've ever seen in my life. This guy freaks out if they get behind 3-1 in the fifth. See, you're an There's, idiot. The problem with this town is, Mike, is too many uh, people treat Phillies games like Eagles games. Because they're, you know, every game is do or die for the Eagles. You can't do that with baseball. Yeah, well, every game's not do or die for the Phillies. They finish six and seven the rest of the year. They win that fourth spot comfortably. I, I completely agree. There's a All ball right. crispness in the air. The magic number is a single digit at nine. Red October's coming, Mike. It's eight now. All right. Let's go around the NFL because, listen, I hate it when the Eagles aren't playing on a weekend. I really do. I hate it when they're not playing on Sunday. It's boring. Uh, I, 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 it's painful for me to watch other games. That I'm not really invested in it. But we go around the NFL anyway, and these are my five thoughts and what I saw uh, around the NFL on Sunday. Let's start with the Giants. Now, boy, I, I'm glad I, I didn't tweet this, but I texted you about Brian Dable. And I go, boy, those New York fans, how they fussed over Brian Dable as their head coach. And all of a sudden, they're down 20 to nothing to the Arizona Cardinals and, and 28 to 7 in the third quarter. And then miracle finish, they come roaring back uh, with that behind Daniel Jones. I, I got to give the guy credit. He played his ass off. Uh, and so explain this about the, the Cardinals. Because uh, people are saying, well, the Cardinals are clearly tanking. Here's the thing, folks. Players don't tank. Players don't go out there thinking, oh, my God, we got to lose this because of a draft pick. They don't do that. Now, maybe Jonathan Gannon is too experienced a coach to bring that game home. And the Giants outplayed them. And, and maybe the Arizona players went, oh, humming, humming, humming. Where we are. You know, we got comfortable with all, and all of a sudden we're going to. That's possible for a feeble team. But nobody's trying to tank on purpose. All right. So for the Giants, they got second life. You know, that team would have been dead and buried for the rest of the season had they not come back and won that game. It would have been 0-2. Saquon is now banged up. So he's going to be out uh, uh, three weeks, they say, uh, with a an ankle sprain. But the Giants salvaged their season a little bit. Does that mean they're going to make the playoffs or be a threat? No. All right. Number two, the Cowboys. Listen, I got to say, right now, they're the best team in the NFL. They're dominant on both sides of the ball. And I, I know they haven't played a Super Bowl caliber schedule so far. But, my God, their defense is ferocious. And Micah Parsons is playing out of his mind. So, um, you know, they, they scored 30 points against the Jets against a pretty good defense. I forget about Zach Wilson. The Jets, you know, and I looked at that game and I said, the Jets will keep that fairly close because of their defense. Well, they didn't. They, they plowed that defense out. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I don't, the, I, the Cowboys do this all every year. They, they show this, this talent level. Oh my God, look at it. And then when it comes to the play, so I'm not really worried, but right now I think they're the best team in the NFL. Um, interesting in that game, Sharif Floyd, was taken off the field for medical reasons. He is an assistant coach with the Dallas Cowboys. Do you remember Sharif Floyd, Darren? Rings a bell, but I'm not 
Not placement. Sharif Floyd went to George Washington High School in Philadelphia and was a first-round draft pick at, out of the University of Florida for the Minnesota Vikings. Now, his career didn't pan out very well, but he was a first-round draft pick. And at age 32, he's now a coach with the Dallas Cowboys. He's taking off the field medical concerns, so uh, hopefully uh, Sharif Floyd is okay. The pride of George Washington High School. He got all kinds of acclaim here in Philly. Uh, as uh, maybe the top recruit in the city. And that's why he went to Florida, played defensive tackle, and became a first-round draft pick. Number three, the Falcons. All right, uh, they come back and beat the Packers. (laughs) 25-24 to on a cuckoo-cachoo field goal. Um, But let's look at the last drive. And and this is always the talking point when we talk about football. Um, The Falcons are down by two. They have a fourth and one at the Green Bay 23. The only problem is there's two minutes and eight seconds left. Now, uh, listen, I, I'm a, uh, uh, coaching this game along with everybody else. Uh, am I going to squander a chance to take the lead there by not kicking a field goal? Am I going to say, you know what? I know there's some time left, but I at least got to count on my defense to stop the other team. But right now, I'm taking the effing lead. Well, Arthur Smith decides to go for it on fourth and one, ballsy, and he dials up a play on a toss, a toss now to Bijan Robinson, who gets the first down. All right, now everything's golden. Oh, what a gutsy call, blah, blah, blah. And finally, they get a shorter field goal. They pass up the 40-yarder there, and they get a shorter field goal by uh, Youngway Koo to win the game. Darren, I got to ask you, are you passing up a 40-yard field goal there? I'm probably not. You can take those chances more when you've got a young team like Atlanta. You can be a little bit more aggressive. Um, I, I hate the play call, though. That's a t- I mean, the chances of that play of that play g- getting stuffed, you know, I, I just like a more direct uh, path to the, fr- to the marker, to the, to the line of scrimmage. Well, actually, it turned out to be a great call because they were expecting Probably, that yeah. same thing, and, and, they, and they flanged in, which gave B. John Robinson the truth, by the way, and it gave him a chance to get out there and get the first down. I got the call. They win the game. I wouldn't have done it. I always want to take the lead. Number four, the Seahawks. Oh, this is my, one of my plays of the week. The Lions uh, smell themselves a little bit, those Lions, and they lose in overtime on a touchdown pass. 37-31. Uh, ooh, what do you think of that? Lions going down to the Seahawks. I mean, look, Detroit, that, that's a huge emotional win they had on the road. <clears throat> excuse me, on the road to start the season last week. Um, they come back, they're home, they're pumped up. I think they just uh, they spent themselves a little bit early in that game, and it showed. But it's a bad loss, by uh, the way. Okay. You can't lose that game so, at home. If you want to be considered a serious contender. Uh, Listen, I I know everybody's hype on the Lions. Stop. Uh, All right, last one uh, for Randy NFL, the Broncos. What a finish. They get a Hail Mary. Touchdown. (laughs) The ball bounces in the air. They get the touchdown. They need the two-point conversion. They don't get the two-point conversion. They get the Hail Mary. They don't get the two-point conversion, which is is like this. It's like... uh, it's like going into to, you, you collect your lottery money and, and you get it. And by the time you get home, you don't realize there's a hole in your pocket and, and the money leaked out and you got nothing. That, that's what that's like. I mean, come on. Once you get to Hail Mary, you can't miss the two point conversion. 
And that is around the NFL for today. It's the Mike Nussanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, ladies and gentlemen, our next guest on the Mike Nussanelli podcast is a Hall of Famer. We don't often get Hall of Famers. But uh, he's making a second appearance on the Mike Missinelli podcast because, let's face it, the Eagles are in the mini buy, So the attention <laughs> goes back to the Phillies, and we welcome in the great Jason Stark working for The Athletic with his w- wonderful uh, offbeat column every week and uh, a million other jobs, MLB Network, and he's got his own podcast. Jason, how you doing? Mike, I am great. It's, it's great to be talking to you again, man. It is. It's been a long time. Uh, but uh, so now we're getting to the nitty gritty, Jason. And um, <laughs> listen, I don't think there's uh, anybody who thinks the Phillies aren't going to get a wild card slot here. It's almost impossible for them, in fact, not to get the first wild card slot. But where do they stand right now in, in a first round matchup? We will ignore the second round or we'll get to that in a second. But a first round matchup against any of these teams that are fighting for survival, the, the Cubs, the, the, the uh, Marlins and, and the Arizona Diamondbacks who are right in that slot right now. Right. Well, let me give you a quick rundown on where this stands. Right. Because you, you just kind of laid it out there. What good shape they're in. Um, if they go six and seven. Uh, they have 13 games left as we record this, right? So that would get them to 87 wins. They get to 87 wins. The Cubs need to go nine and three to tie that, and they still lose the tiebreaker to the Phillies. Arizona would need to go eight and three. They would lose the tiebreaker to the Phillies. The Reds need to go nine and two, and they would lose the tiebreaker to the Phillies. The Marlins would win the tiebreaker thanks to that that series last week, but they would need to go nine and three to get to 87 wins. The Giants need to go 11 and one. Like that's not happening. So the Phillies are going to be the number one wild card if they don't collapse. And I like their chances against any of those teams, no matter who they play. Look, they're just better. <laughs> Since June the 3rd, they've played like a 98, 99 win team. And that's a long time. To play like that, it's three and a half months, right? So they're just better than those other teams. Uh, the games will be in Philadelphia. It'll be electric. And what they're planning on is to follow that exact same script as last year. Yes, uh, and I agree with you. They're, they're much stronger than any of these teams are going to face. Now, I, at one point, I thought the Cubs had been playing so well that they gave me that like Cardinals vibe. Uh, when the Cardinals in 2011 surprised the Phillies. But I I don't see that uh, anymore. But (laughs) let's get to the the second series because that's what it comes down to. This Braves team is one of the most relentless teams I've ever seen. And you see the same thing. I mean, you covered baseball for a thousand years. Um, They got spooked last year when they came into Citizens Bank Park. I'm not so sure they get spooked this year. Uh, What are you seeing with the Braves? Yeah, I just spent time around the Braves last week, and they're they're look they're better than any team in the sport. They should win the World Series, which doesn't mean they will. But here's the way I try to describe the Braves to people: every time they lose, they think it's an accident. <laughs> I mean, they think something weird happened in the world, and they're going to beat the crap out of you tonight. Um, they're not just great; they're historically great. They're, they're, they're in the argument for the greatest lineup of all time. They've got a chance to have nine players, all nine, hit 20 home runs. It's crazy. Um, they're also, they're in much 
better shape than they were in last year when the Phillies played them, when Max Fried wasn't right and Spencer Strider wasn't right and Charlie Morton wasn't right. Um, the rotation is much more together. But one thing you did see last week was they have a vulnerability at the end of the games. Rysel Iglesias gave up game-tying homers to the Phillies two games in a row, right? And he's shaky. Uh, the back of their pen is shaky. And that the, the Phillies know that. It's in both teams' heads. Um, look, the Braves expect to beat the Phillies or any team they play. And the chalk says that they should. But having lived through what they lived through last year, I know they're wary of the Phillies because they told me that. The Phillies totally understand how good they are, too. Yeah, I, I, I agree with the vulnerability they have in the pen late in games. And I feel a lot better about that if the Phillies didn't have a vulnerability. So, so, so where, <laughs> there is that. So where, yeah. Where are, where, and I understand that if you, you get to their bullpen, you, you've got a chance. But let's, let's look at now how the Phillies are, are, I mean, what what do you think they're thinking of their the Phillies bullpen at this point, their, their, their own people and what they have there? Well, look, they would love to wrap up this number one wild card and give those guys in the pen a little downtime. Because once you get to October, there's a lot of built in off days and that's really helpful to a team like this. It's why last year, look how few pitchers they used in the wild card round in particular. And that would be the formula again. You know, um, th look, there are a lot of questions about everybody. <laughs> Seriously. Kimbrell, questions. Sir Anthony, questions. Uh, Alvarado, questions. Soto, questions. Uh, like Jeff Hoffman feels like the most trusted guy out there. And, like that is a concern. It will be a concern, but um, Rob Thompson will ride his hottest hands. How that works out, I don't know. Um, just because you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jose Alvarado, in particular, are not the same guys that they were last October. And Craig Kimbrell's had a great year. But he's been he's been getting worn down. His October track record is not great. There's just a lot to be concerned about. Uh, they just brought a guy up to AAA, which it, I guess their intention is that possibly he could help uh, if they can make a roster move with him for the playoffs. Are, are you seeing that at all? I think that's really unlikely. Uh, he's, this guy started the year in Clearwater, so he's, he's been at all, all four levels. Um, and I, I think that's only, you only break that glass in case of emergency. I'd be really surprised. He, he'd be, he'd have been up here. It may be an emergency, but, but, but let's yeah. talk about the starting pitching because I, I think that's also a major deal. Um, I don't know what to expect from Marinola. I, I, I guess Ranger Sanchez is fairly reliable and then you get to the fourth starter with Tyler Walker who's just been up and down I mean um is their starting pitching good enough to hang into a series with Atlanta uh it's another area it's not as good as last year it's funny that you called him Ranger 
Sanchez because oh, Suarez. <laughs> Ranger Suarez, my bad. Christopher Sanchez. Who like who thought that guy would be in the conversation? For, Christopher Sanchez, yes. Yeah, right. A key postseason role. He could fill one. Um we Zach Wheeler's throwing great. Um although, you know, the I think the Braves seem like they may have figured out some stuff with him. We'll we'll see. Uh Aaron Nola's the biggest worry the biggest difference between last year this time and it's just a lot of the same issues mike it's just he he's gone along he looks great he gets out of the stretch he's a different pitcher batting average goes up 75 points ops goes up 170 points the league is slugging almost 500 against him out of the stretch that's a that's a danger uh, and even with even with nobody on, he really hasn't been quite the same. You know, last year with nobody on base, the opponent's slugging against him was about 300, and this year it's like 100 points higher. So I don't think he has physically recovered from the toll last year took on him, and that's part of this. But they've tried everything to straighten him out, out of the stretch. And... Nothing has worked. Some of it is just command issues. Some of it, I like I'm always suspicious of tipping. And it just, every once in a while, <laughs> these teams hit them like they know it's coming. Talking to Jason Stark, of course, the Hall of Fame journalist who covers baseball like nobody else for the athletic and, and other entities. Uh, Jason, this is a silly question. It's like completely <laughs> a, a sports talk uh, cat, uh, uh, topic. But uh, I got to admit, that I, I was taken aback a little bit. And I know you probably know the logistics of this or whether it's league mandated or anything. Atlanta, the Atlanta Braves celebrate the NL East title on the field. And, you know, it's they deserve to celebrate. Uh, Acuna was teasing fans a little bit. And all of a sudden, <laughs> the scoreboard flashes up congratulations to the Atlanta Braves NL East champions. I know I, I'm, I'm, I'm very picky at times. <laughs> But I thought that was yeah. totally inappropriate for, like, what do the fans, what are the fans there supposed to get out of that? And is that an MLB thing? No, that's just the Phillies taking the high road thing. And, you know, so you don't want them to take the high road. <laughs> no, there's no need for them to take the high road. This is a division rival that just won the damn division by 17 games. I, I'm not in the mood to pat them on the back. And turn, turn, turn it off. Watch something else, or walk out the door. <laughs> it, get a beer. It flashed right in front of my face. Now a lot of people compared it. Well, Houston did it. Well, Houston had been the runaway winner in the American League or in a different league. Like they could throw a bone to a lesser team. Like it's like <laughs> them throwing a bone to the peasant Phillies for making the playoffs is a different circumstance than us congratulating the hated Atlanta Braves. <laughs> it it just Phillies trying to be. Classy. Would the Braves do that if the Phil if the Phillies win the NL Division Series in Atlanta? Wouldn't you want the Braves to congratulate the Phillies? Uh, the answer to that is yes, Jason. And, and here's why: because uh, the Atlanta Braves are a hated rival, and uh, to congratulate them in front of the fans that had to witness that, by the way. It get, it brings nothing to the fans. I'm wondering how are the span, fans supposed to react to them pandering to the Atlanta Braves? Uh, I I don't I don't want to take the high road when it comes to the Braves. I don't want to take the high road when it comes to any rival. 
I want to hate the op- the opponent, especially if it's the Braves. Well, you feel free. Feel free. Like I, I don't think that message had any impact at all on anybody in the ballpark. I think it did. I, I, I saw a lot of reaction to it. I, why would they do something like that in our face? But, but they, hated the, they hated the message, but they, they still hated the Braves. I, I, it's like... It's like if they hated the Braves before the message, they hated the when, Braves when after the When the revolutionary message. heroes won the Revolutionary War, do we need to congratulate the Redcoats for putting up a good fight? That's what this is. To me, yes, it is. I don't think there's any need for it. Let them walk off the field. Let them do their celebration. I don't have to congratulate them for celebrating on in my home field. All right, it's a small matter. Like I said. I'm just sorry I miss Brian Snitner sailing across the Delaware. It's a, it's a, it's a sports talk <laughs> topic. So <laughs> it's a good one. Sometimes it's, it's a good one. Sometimes I, I have to delve back into it. Uh, one thing I need to ask <laughs> you about is uh, the Otani situation. This is kind of weird. He shut down now with the oblique. Um, I know there was some whispers that he had left, but he, he really didn't um, and go back to Japan. Uh, what, what happens now? Well, he, Look, he's going to get some kind of procedure on his elbow. And they've been very vague about what this is, but it sounds like it's not going to be Tommy John. It sounds like it's going to be some alternative to Tommy John surgery. And whatever it is, he's very unlikely to pitch in 2024, but his agent has guaranteed he will be in somebody's lineup opening day hitting 2024 the question is what uniform will he be wearing if you have a half a billion dollars sitting around it could be yours so the price is going to remain the same for him at a half a billion even though the pitching part might not be there next year it'll be historic whether it would be the same i I don't know about that if he if he makes it through this year healthy and keeps if he had kept going down the road that he was going as a pitcher and he was the best and most productive hitter in the league. And he was among the three, four, five most dominating starting pitchers in the league. I I think that's worth something. Um, He's still going to want to get paid to do both. And they've said, this is not as serious a tear as the original tear that caused him to have Tommy John. Um, it, it's going to have to be a more creative contract, but it'll still be historic. Yeah, I, I don't oh, know yeah. if you've ever uh, have an example of, of a guy who tried to get away without the Tommy John and still came back effective as a pitcher. Is there somebody Aaron out Holt? there that's been able to use platelet uh, therapy to, to regenerate? Well, I don't think it, it, we're, not, we're not looking at, at It's not a situation where he's going to get an injection. Um, you know, Aaron Nola had a slight tear and kept pitching and never did break down. In fact, he's been the opposite. Okay. Um, but the kind of procedure they've been hinting at, um, is one that Bryce Harper did not have, uh, was in play for him. It's more suitable from what I'm told for a position player than a pitcher, but, I, I forgot to graduate from medical school again this week, but it sounds like because of the location 
of this tear, the specific location, it may be an option. But we'll be hearing a lot about Otani this winter, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, I, I guess the question I'll ask, is he willing to come to the East Coast? Uh, he hasn't ruled anything out. He wants to win, but <laughs> I, I I would bet against that. What, what, if I, you I think, had to bet, where does he end up? You want my bet? Yeah. Seattle. Seattle. I mean, I know that the Dodgers have been the, the fashionable pick. Um, here's the thing. He's he's in this little comfort zone bubble in Anaheim where they just structured the entire team around him. He hasn't talked to the media for weeks, not even to explain his health situation. Okay. And he only they only make him talk after games he pitches. So like 30 times a year. So there's all that. Um, they accommodate everything that he wants accommodated, very few demands on him. And I just can't see him going to Philadelphia, right? Or New York or even LA and having to deal with all the people tugging at him. I don't think he wants that. I think he wants to stay as close to that comfort zone, but have a better chance to win. And I think Seattle is perfectly positioned to offer him that. I, I know there's a connection somehow in Boston as well. Boston, it would be the same thing for him, I assume. The attention there. I can't. I, can't. I mean, I they, look, they don't even have a general manager, <laughs> chief baseball officer now, so who knows what they're going to do. But whoever they bring in will be under intense pressure to, to go sign a huge name. And if money is no object, you never know what could happen. But if Past is prologue, right? So if you look at his last free agency, it was different. It was not a bidding war. It was, he picked out teams he was interested in. He met with those teams in a really short period of time. Uh, like the Dodgers got a big group together and Clayton Kershaw came in from Texas and Clayton walked out of the meeting and said, what a complete freaking waste of time that was. Because <laughs> he didn't want to go there. So he he's going to know what he wants to do, I think, before he ever gets into free agency. And then it's just going to be a matter of there'll be a few teams. They'll have to meet all the demands, monetary and otherwise. And I, I think it'll go quick. Oh, we'll see. It's a, certainly a great offseason topic. Jason, I, I really appreciate you coming on. Last thing I want to leave you with, as I've told you before, I'm in all of you. And uh, the, the voluminous research that you do to create these columns with the weird and wacky, and you've been doing it for, I don't know how many, 40 years this way. <laughs> it, I, it exhausts me thinking of you doing that research. And I, so I, I wonder how much it exhausts you to come up with all these little tidbits, which take hours to come up with. Okay. You, like, here's the thing. I, I, I'm very disciplined about the way I go about it. Okay. So, Every day, I keep a, like a book of things that interest me in baseball from the day before. People are always shooting questions at me. It's why I had this big Phillies note the other day about first team ever to, to hit home runs in the eighth or ninth inning to take the lead or tie a game and then lose all five games Okay, in 19 days. So um, by Monday or Tuesday of the, the following week, I've got my list of stuff. And then I look, I look at that and think, what can I look up myself? What do I need help on? If I need help, 
I send out a bunch of emails to people who are willing to help me. And then I can write the whole thing in a day, pretty much. It's it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, so keep thank you. Keep doing it for forever. <laughs> Mike, thank you for that. Um, uh, it's always awesome to be on with you, man. You're the best. I appreciate so, that. Thank keep you, doing man. what you do. All right? You're the best. You're in a damn hall of fame. I'm just the schmo out here. Just try continue make a living. <laughs> Take care, brother. I'll talk to you. Sounds good, man. Thanks. It's the Mike Mussinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Everybody have a great rest of the day. Uh, it looks like a, a nice week from this point on. And uh, we'll catch you on Thursday. Thanks for listening and watching uh, the Mike Missinelli podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. Good night, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.